0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ in His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Isaiah 9, 1-7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in a later time he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle of tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor almighty god everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of the government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this forth and forevermore the zeal of the lord of with host will do this this is the word of the lord thanks be to god So, Will, where'd you go, man? I thought you were going to preach for me. That was fantastic. Good job, man. Oh, my goodness. I love being here with y'all, and I love preaching here, but there's a part of me that when it's time to preach, there's a little bit of sadness comes into my heart, because that means the music's over. Uh, Brett, and just, oh, my goodness, it's always so, so lovely. I love it. Um, This is the word of the Lord. It is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. It is sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious Father. Um, what a father you are. We come this morning, uh, Lord, asking that that you would give us grace, uh, that wherein uh, we fail, uh, we would see that Jesus on our behalf mightily prevails. And so Holy Spirit, would you uh, give us understanding, would you illumine this word to our understanding uh, that we would see the gospel here and believe it afresh. For we ask it in the matchless name of Jesus, the seed who crushed the serpent's head and the alpha and omega. Amen. Well, our daughter, Lydia, is a wanderer. Uh, ever since she was a little little bitty, uh, we've had to be at least man to man and sometimes double and triple teaming her uh, because she's she's just prone to wander. She's an artist in every sense of the word and for her, everything is discovery. Uh, when she was around two or three years of age, Dillard's at Cool Springs Galleria was shut down because she got away from us and everyone was on high alert looking for her. We found her in one of the dressing rooms, uh, admiring herself in one of those three-way Mirror, she still does that to this day. She gets it from her mom, by the way, that, uh, that behavior there. But just she should just get lost. And we, we just always have to be. Oh, god, I got the microphone. We always have to be on guard. <laughs> we always have to be on guard. Uh, we were we were at Disney World um back in 2013 and everyone we we everyone we had extended family. There's a big family reunion, Disney World trip, and everyone was was debriefed. Uh, they all had one job. And that was to not let Lydia uh, get, get lost. Um, we're going next month to San Diego. Uh, yeah, you may think, yeah, woo, you think, oh, that's great. We're gonna be hanging out at the beach. Or we're going out to Comic Con. For, for the three or four geeks in this room who know what San Diego Comic Con is, it's where everybody, like thousands of Uber nerds, go out. And you cosplay, which means you dress up as your favorite, like, Star Wars character or Marvel or, or whatever. And I, I, I'm actually going to go out uh, and, and revive my old man Logan, Wolverine, uh, which it just needs to happen. But that, that's, that's what I cosplay as. It, there are pictures to prove it. But I can't wait to get out there and see all the in-game Thors. Those of you who've seen in-game, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who haven't seen Avengers Endgame yet, yet you still get prickly when somebody comes close to dropping a spoiler, that's on you by this point if you've not seen it yet, all right? So I can't wait to get out there and see all of the in-game Thors that, that, are, that are there, but um, Lydia's almost 16 now, um, and we're strongly considering having a, a tracking device implanted under her skin before we fly out there, we can just have it tied to an app on our phone, that way we can keep keep track of her. Prone to wonder. We we all are. We all are prone to wonder. Um, Isaiah prophesied and wrote for some 40 plus years. Um, he, He prophesied and wrote and ministered from 740 BC because the opening verse tells us in the year King Uzziah died. Right? So we know from chapter 6, verse 1, and then you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, that that's around the time that Isaiah was, was ministering. And then he ministered and prophesied through a number of Israel's kings, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. And it tells us the bad news of the gospel, this book of Isaiah. It tells us the good news of the gospel as well. It tells us we're prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, as the old hymn says. But, but our wondering is more than just a little girl uh, kind of, you know, wondering what's next at, at, at the next display at Christmas Village. Uh, the wondering of the people of God here was, was rebellion against the only God who can save. Uh, rebellion against the God who would, who would surely judge. Here in the context of Isaiah, we find a people who are oppressed. They are in gloom. They are walking in darkness. They are in the valley of the shadow of death. The people who've been walking in darkness, the text we just heard read. They are people who know the harsh reality of the yoke of burden. They're war-torn. The the nation of Israel is being sacked by Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria. and Jerusalem, the holy city is going to be cut down. But there's hope. uh, One whose fullness cannot be understood with just one name. What's in a name? Everything's in a name. Uh, R.C. Sproul tells a story of a seminary graduation which are usually fairly impressive academic affairs and this particular seminary graduation they had invited in a world-renowned theologian who was going to come in and for the commencement address he was going to lecture on christology which is the doctrine of the person and work of christ and and there, there was high expectation that this theologian was was going to deliver some of the most erudite penetrating maybe even groundbreaking christological theological lecture that that maybe they had ever heard again this was seminary graduation and so um, he is introduced all of his titles all of his accolades he gets up to the podium and he simply begins savior seed who had crushed the serpent's head alpha and omega the lord lily of the valley rose of sharon and people are kind of looking around each other okay he's naming names of christ when's he going to get on with the real stuff when's he going to get on with the lecture when's he going to just knock us out and wow us with his theological precision and on and on he went the apostle of our confession the lord our righteousness the word the good shepherd divine and on and on he went and and pretty soon uh, he tells the story that tears started to trickle down people's cheeks. And on and on, he, he went just naming name after after name after name, the way, the truth, the life, uh, the, the bread, the chief cornerstone, the author and perfecter of our faith. And by the time it was done, this entire graduating class was literally on their knees, weeping and praising, and all the guy did, all this theologian did, was just repeat name after name after name without commentary that are found for the Lord Jesus, from Genesis straight through to the maps, the names of Christ in Scripture, one after another after another, and they're just sinking in. What's in the name? Everything's in the name. And falling like spring rain from the lips of the prophet Isaiah comes words of immense comfort, a shattering of the darkness, a confusion, and hopelessness. We hear the perfect wisdom of wonderful counselor. Uh, Fearfulness cannot but flee when we hear mighty God, all that God is, he is for us, and that mightily in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, The the fury and strain of her oppressor's warfare would indeed have to submit to the reign of the Prince of Peace. Name after name that Isaiah is, is offering us here, but for our consideration this morning, and for a people who are lost, who are being invaded, comes the comforting assurance that Messiah will be to them an everlasting Father, and this is something you always hear around Christmas, we hear this text read, preached at Christmas, but how fitting for today, Father's Day, what's it in a name? Everything's in a name. Kings of Israel were to be father-like in their loving and, 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 and shepherding protection and care uh, for the people of Israel. Some were. Some were very father-like, some of the kings, but some of the kings were self-seeking, and, and they were rebellious, and they led the nation astray. Yet when Messiah comes, he will be the, permanently, the, the, the permanent father-like one, as there will be no need for another king to succeed him. And we read in 2 Samuel 7, 13, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Or Micah 5 two, but you, O Bethlehem, though you were least among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over my people, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will be the permanent, the eternal father-like one, caring and, and cherishing and shepherding his, his children. Uh, light comes upon those who knew the reality of the darkness in which they were walking. And we got to ask ourselves, what kind of people are we willing to be this morning? Our are we willing to acknowledge that we are, in and of ourselves, just like they were rebellious people, who would reject the reign of the sun were it not for His grace working in us? Do you know uh, the death valley of your own wickedness? Have we forgotten that the yoke of sin and, and shame is so heavy? I, I mean, for sure, Hebrews 11:25 tells us that sin is pleasurable. Tells us that sin is a pleasurable thing, but it's a fleeting pleasure by that, a deceptive pleasure that, that will not ultimately medicate, that will not ultimately satisfy, that will not ultimately quench our, our thirst, right? And, and yet the weight of our sin on us, on our families, on our church, at least that hollow sense of, of Paul in Romans 7 where he says, why do I do the things that I do? The things I shouldn't, I'm constantly doing. The things that I shouldn't, I'm always doing. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Maybe um, today, Father's Day, there are those who carry deep father wounds, uh, and you need the tender touch of Jesus to be father-like toward you. Uh, maybe, maybe you're willing to uh, come and say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to lay my heart before him. Because I do have some father wounds. I need for Jesus to touch me. Maybe, maybe you're hearing your dad and you're willing to admit that, that most days you simply feel like a poser. I mean, can we just go there? Can we just admit, dads in this room, that most days we feel like such posers and we screw up and, and it just creates all kinds of storms in, in, in our families' lives. The constant pressure to perform bears down. And what, what we need, dads, is for Jesus, right? We, we need Jesus to protect us, to provide for us, to be our great high priest. Maybe, maybe your Father's Day gift today, and I hope you get some good stuff, dads, I do, but maybe, maybe the Father's Day gift you need today is um, an invitation to let Jesus be all he is for you. Trust me when I say Jesus, like an everlasting father whose reign will have no end, uh, will cause his light to shine on you this morning. Now, let's be clear. Isaiah, in referring to the Messiah, is talking about the Lord Jesus, the Son of God. And as he refers to him as an Everlasting Father, Isaiah is not unclear about the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, let me just explain something for a second. When Jesus is referred to, prophesied, as Everlasting Father, this is in no way a denigration of the doctrine of the Trinity. That our God is one in essence, existing three in person. Distinct persons existing together in community from all eternity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's not confusing those categories, but what he is saying to us is that Messiah, when he comes, is going to be father-like. He's going to be fatherly. He's going to protect and provide. He'll be our priest. It's as Jesus said in John 14, 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I have come to show you what my father and your father is like. And in that sense, the Messiah is fatherlike. In that sense, he is he is fatherly. And fatherlike Jesus protects us. Again, Isaiah 9 gives us a picture of the Messiah who's going to come. John Calvin, who lived from 1509 to 64, was a theologian, a pastor, a preacher. He said that uh, the Jews of his day tried to explain this passage so that it cannot refer to Jesus, but only to King Hezekiah. But as Calvin says, that simply will not do chronologically because Hezekiah was actually born before this prophecy was given. So how could it be a prophecy of someone who had already uh, been born? No, this passage is very much about Jesus Christ and the canvas is dark, right? War had ravaged Zebulun and Naphtali. Uh, those were two Israelite tribes northeast of Galilee, west of the Jordan. The second Kings 1529 tells us that Assyrian king Tiglath-Pileser had come in and made captives of, of all of them. But against that cold, hopeless backdrop of war spreading and, and evil seemingly reigning the bright colors of messianic hope are splashed all over isaiah like an artist paints a beautiful picture of what's about to take place in in galilee light will pierce the inky blackness of captivity and people who are walking in darkness are going to walk in light as god makes good on his covenantal promise to abraham all the way back in genesis fifteen five. you remember abraham was told to go out and count the stars If indeed, Abraham, you can even begin to count them, your offspring will be more numerous than the stars. You can't even begin to count, I'm making this promise to you, and I will make good on this promise, and nothing will ultimately get in the way of it. The offspring of Abraham, more numerous than the stars, right? You are the offspring of of Abraham, and this promise here in Isaiah 9 is that Messiah is going to come, and in protecting his people, he is protecting you because the covenant promise is being upheld. Jesus has always been on a mission to protect his own. The Old Testament bears it out. You see it in Joshua chapter five. I love the story in Joshua five. Joshua is is out to take the promised land. He is out to take Canaan land and and times are very hard. Things are tenuous And, and he wakes up and he sees in Joshua five, this imposing figure with a sword drawn. You remember that story? He sees this figure with a sword drawn, and Joshua goes up to this figure and asks, are you for me or against me? And the figure says, you're asking the wrong question. I am neither for you or against you. I am the commander of the host of the Lord's army. The question is not, am I for you or against you? Are you with me, Joshua? I am the captain. I am the one taking the lead here, protecting you, protecting my people. Making good on my promise. We we see it in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. You turn to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and you see in in Matthew, uh, you you see these beautiful stories of Jesus in, in Matthew's Gospel. Teaching sections, parables all over the place. But one of the things that I love about Mark and Luke is there's a similarity in the opening chapters of those two Gospels. Mark's a very quick Gospel. In fact, there's a word that appears some 27 times in Mark's Gospel in the Greek. It's euthus, and it means immediately or straight away. In other words, Mark is not going to let grass grow under Jesus' feet. He's just going from event to event, from story to story. Uh, Luke's gospel is much more detailed, but they are very similar in the opening chapters in that, in both Mark and Luke. The five things that you and I fear the most, Jesus comes and says, I got this. The five things that you and I worry about and fear the most, Jesus shows his sovereign power over those things. Uh, we, we see his power over sin and guilt, over natural disaster, over the demonic realm, over sickness and disease, and even death itself. Those five things that, that worry us and fill us with anxiety and keep us up at night, Jesus says, I got this. He shows his power over the five things we fear the most. What are you afraid of? What keeps you awake at night lately? Da- dads, let me ask you, where, where do you feel like you have a paper-thin grip on being a dad? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. I talked with a dad uh, one time about the pressure of family and marriage and all that goes with it. And he said, you know, I am always waiting for the next shoe to drop. What's going to happen to my family? When you want to get that call that there's some diagnosis, when am I going to face some kind of fan, financial downturn and I can't provide. I'm always waiting for the next shoe to drop. I, I love how in, in Mark chapter four, right, you, you've got the disciples on a boat with Jesus on the sea. Many of them are seasoned fishermen. They've seen storms on the sea before, but this time there's a storm. They know they're dead. They're as good as dead, right? This is a storm like none other. Uh, the water is filling up the boat and they know this is the end. And they go to Jesus, of course, and they say, Jesus, you obviously don't care that we're perishing. And, and Jesus gets up. And with the same creative word power with which he brought the storm into existence, he says, peace, be still, and commands that storm. And then we read in the text, not that they're high-fiving each other and wiping their brows, but in the Greek, san, phobon mega. They are feared up fearfully with fear, mega. They are now consumed with mega-fear. They are now consumed with megaphobia, we might say. They are utterly terrified. You think, well, Why are they terrified? The storm has passed. Yeah, the storm was bigger than they were, and they were scared, but now the storm has passed. Why are they so afraid? They knew what a storm was capable of, and that's scary, but what's this guy capable of? What is this man in the boat who can calm the storm with his very word capable of? Who have we hitched our wagon to? A- and dads, Whatever's going on in your life right now, maybe storms, maybe storms that have come about because of your own screwing up, and storms are facing your family, and they feel like they're bigger than you, and they probably are, but they are not bigger than your Jesus. I promise you that. Whatever storms you are facing, and that goes for all of us, bigger than you, sure, but they are not bigger than Jesus, right? We fear him, we don't have to fear anything else. Hebrews chapter 2, we read why Jesus came. We read why this mighty God, this Prince of Peace, this Everlasting Father, we read why this wonderful counselor actually came. And, and he came uh, to destroy and to deliver. In Hebrews two fourteen to 15, we read that he came, made like his brothers in every way, he came uh, that he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, And to deliver all of us who through our fear of death were held in lifelong slavery. Think about those words for a second. Jesus came, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, to destroy and deliver, to destroy the devil who has the power of death, and to deliver you and me, who through our fear of death are held in lifelong bondage, lifelong slavery. He comes to protect But father like he also comes to provide. Again times were grim for Israel. Her waywardness was coming home to roost. She was about to feel the brunt of her own self-sufficiency and waywardness yet if she would but look Messiah would come protecting with with healing in his wings he would he would be her covering providing for her. In fact Isaiah is fit for a town like Nashville because he sets pen to paper on four songs. They're called the servant songs. You can read them in the gospel of Isaiah here in chapter 42, one to nine, 49, one to six, 54 to seven, 52, 13 to 53, 12. Four distinct songs, lyrical, songs of the servant. How this divine servant, Jesus, is gonna come and, and yield himself up for our provision. I, I love what we read In the second servant song in Isaiah 49 5 to 6 just listen to this and now the Lord says he who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength he says it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel that's you I will make you as a light for the nation that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. He provides for. Us. So every Sunday, my family goes. We'll do it this afternoon to a little nursing home in Bellevue. We've been doing this now for about 18 years, uh, since the kids were babies. Um, and the residents at this nursing home in Bellevue all have some form of dementia or or Alzheimer's. Um, they they are struggling to know what was. They are struggling to know what is they are struggling to know who they were they they're struggling to know who they are um and every sunday we we sing hymns and i preach a little you know two or three minute sermon which y'all are probably thinking you're capable of a two or three minute sermon that's a shocker um we recite every sunday psalm 23 together the lord is my shepherd i shall not want and it's a beautiful thing Um, For for many of them, though they can't tell you their names, the words to Psalm 23 are there, way back in the recesses of, of of their hearts. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Hebrew, I shall not lack. Because the Lord is my shepherd, because he is my shepherd... Right? Because that man in the boat who can calm storms that are bigger than I am. Because he is my shepherd. I will not lack. I will not want for a thing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then I take a couple of minutes and I, I preach a little, a little homily on how the Lord provides for all our needs. He will not let us stray forever. He woos us back to himself. What do you need from Jesus this morning? I mean, right where you sit. What do you need from Jesus this morning. Um, if you could have him just meet you at a corner table at Fido's or a corner booth at corner pub and and you could just sit across from him and say, Jesus, can you, Jesus, would would you please, what would it be? Do you realize the access that is yours right where you are now? Hebrews 4 14 to 16, therefore, since We have a great high priest. That's what makes it good news, right? If it just said, therefore, since there is a great high priest, that might be news, but it is good news because we have. He is ours and we are his. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens, let us hold unswerving to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I love the old King James language there. We do not have a high priest untouched by the feelings of our infirmities. You see, you feel your infirmities, you feel your weakness, you feel your paper-thin grip on everything, and you are not alone. Jesus is not untouched by the feelings of your infirmities, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. It's good news that he doesn't scold us for our weaknesses, but he sympathizes with our weaknesses. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has at all points been tempted, even as are we, yet was without sin. Therefore, let us approach boldly, not with arrogance, not with timidity, but with a holy, grace-enabled boldness. Let us approach boldly the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need, that, that provision, right? Father-like Jesus provides for us. I mean, let, let the text paint the picture. There was gloom, there was anguish, contempt, war, darkness, a yoke of burden. You see that in chapter nine, verses one and two and four. But ever since Genesis three fifteen, all the way back, third page of your Bible, Genesis three fifteen, the promise of the seed who would crush the serpent's head, Theologians call it the Proto-Evangelion or the Proto-Gospel, the first gospel in the Bible. The first preaching of the gospel is Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent Ever since Genesis 3.15, Messiah has been on the reverse of the curse. Israel's warfare would cease, verse 5, when this Prince of Peace, verse 6, is born. Their yoke of burden, verse 4, will give way to a different kind of yoke that only Jesus, the Father-like Messiah, can provide. The yoke of which he speaks in Matthew 1128 28-30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am lowly and heart." Heart, and my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your soul. God's people will be freed from the yoke of Assyrian and Babylonian captivity. David Filson is going <laughs> to be freed from the captivity that I have brought on myself by my own arrogance and willfulness and sinfulness. That's what the Messiah does. He, he takes the yokes that oppress us and replaces them with his yoke, a yoke. Of true rest what oppresses you what what weighs you down even as you sit there right now looking good looking fine whatever but but inside what, what's oppressing you um, some unrelenting sense of failure or despair or hopelessness Jesus is lifting that yoke off of you Right? Did we not sing earlier, Father-like, he tends and spares us well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hand, he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Widely as his mercy flows. He, he protects us, he provides for us, he's also a priest for us. Father-like, he is a priest for us. In fact, go to Hebrews 2. Right? I referenced it earlier, but... I just need you to read this. I need you to underline this. And if you're hesitant to underline in your Bible and make notes, go get yourself a Bible that you're willing to underline and make notes in, right? I just say that. Go back to Hebrews 2, right? In verse 11, we read that he is not ashamed to call you his sisters and his brothers. We we read in verses 14 and following, he came to destroy the devil and deliver you. But I love what we read in verses 16 through 18. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Remember, I told you that's who you were. Remember that this whole promise in Isaiah 9 is God making good on his promise to Abraham all the way back at the beginning of your Bible in Genesis chapter 15 verse 5, that he is going to have an offspring from Abraham to be his own covenant people. And that is you. And so the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace has come to help, not the angels, but the offspring of Abraham, and that is you and that is me, because you are the Israel of God. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, right? Think about that. As Paul says to us in his letters over and again in a number of places, we who are Christ are Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. If you are Christ, then you are the true Israel of God. You take a guy like me, I'm part Irish, part English, part Scottish, part Dutch, part Cherokee, and part redneck. Far as I know, biologically, there's not a drop of Jewish blood in me, but according to Scripture, I am the offspring of Abraham. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That word means to make a satisfactory payment for your sins and mine. For because he himself has suffered, when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is, the, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 9. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy to Abraham in Genesis 12 to 17. Again, we usually hear this text read or preached from Isaiah 9 sometime around Advent. It just sounds like Christmas. You may be thinking, why are we here in the middle of the summer, reading from Isaiah 9, that's, that's a Christmas text. But it's so fitting for us to hear that this Messiah, as a good, fatherly-like priest, covers our shortcomings and covers our sins. And here's where it gets really, really good. For dads, for all of us, this Father's Day, posing is possible. In fact, some of us have earned PhDs in posery and it is crucial we ask ourselves am i really a follower of this messiah this child who has been born this wonderful counselor this mighty god everlasting father this prince of peace am i really am i am i cultivating an appetite for the bible for prayer for worship dad's let me tell you there is nothing you can do more needful for your family than for you personally to become a man of the word a man of prayer a man of worship it will it will create a contagion in your family am i really a follower of this one who is so committed to renewing me or am i just going through the motions well there is messianic medicine for you and me we read of it in philippians 2 12 and 13 where paul says not only in my presence but much more in my absence continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is god at work in you both to willing to do according to his good pleasure It is important to note that Paul does not say continue to work for your salvation but work out your salvation you cannot earn it you evidence it you cannot merit it you manifest it you can't deserve it you demonstrate it work out what has already been given to you work out that which has been given to you as a gift live out what has been given to you as a gift your salvation How do we know all this is true? How did Israel know that her darkness would pass and the light they thought they saw was not just an illusion? Those who've been walking in darkness have seen a great light. How do we know that that is true? The very last words of our text in Isaiah 9 tell us the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. When the Lord, who is mighty God, is zealous for something, You can count on it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to do this for you and for me. We have a dog, we have a couple dogs at home. We are their humble servants. One is a little Cocker Spaniel named Gabby, whose cuteness covers a multitude of sins and she knows it. We have another dog named Zeke. He's part Lab, part Border Collie, part Pit Bull. He's a handsome boy. And he loves, loves the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> Not kidding. He sits transfixed when the Hallmark Channel is on. Um, he, he just loves a good simple love story, an occasional rom-com. If we watch a movie at home that has fight scenes and explosions, maybe a Marvel movie, he will literally get up and leave the living room, goes to our back bedroom, and we will come in there on that TV and turn on the Hallmark Channel for him. I am not making this up. The other night we had a movie on, had explosions in it. He went and faced one of the walls with his back turned to us until we took him into the bedroom and turned on the Hallmark Channel. He loves the Hallmark Channel. Hallmark Channel, for those of you who know, uh, those of you who watch the Hallmark Channel, maybe there's some dudes in here unwilling to admit it but you watch it too, right? And especially around Christmas, because Hallmark Channel comes out with all their Christmas movies each year, and they're so popular that they've started showing one Christmas movie a week this year to celebrate their 10th anniversary. So we're not too far off, really, uh, to read this text this morning that's usually considered a Christmas text. The promise of a son born to us, a son given, so that we all, daughters and sons, can step out of the darkness into his marvelous light. For as another of Isaiah's servant songs teaches us to sing, in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 to 6, that he has come to be a priest for us. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we have seemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and by His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've wandered. We've turned, every one of us, to our own way. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And the Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. If you have gone astray this morning, and you're losing heart because of it, then take heart. Jesus loves to go on a rescue mission for those who go astray. He has done one better than implanting a tracking device in you. He indwells you by His Holy Spirit. He knows you. He knows where your heart is. He knows what you're doing, what you shouldn't be doing. Yet He sympathizes with your weaknesses. Doesn't scold you. And even now he's wooing you, calling you home. He's calling you to a table of priestly provision spread, Psalm 23, verse 5, in the presence of your enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil, which accuses your soul all the while, can only look on in utter defeat and watch as your great high priest and mighty God and everlasting Father Jesus Christ says, daughters and sons, it's time for supper. Prepare your hearts for the Holy Supper, gracious Father.